Today the Church celebrates the feast of St. Leo the Great, the first Pope to have been given the title Great. He was born in the year 400 and reigned as Roman Pontiff from the beginning of the 5th century and faced many hurdles, many difficulties, but acquired great prestige and served the church with uh, great valor, defending it from heresies such as Manichaeanism and also Arianism and many other things that plagued it and, and really really had this role of uh, elevating the prestige of, uh, of the papacy that it never really had known as, as, as that before. So we have recourse to him because he... He was from an aristocratic family, but he never expected to, to be given this task. He was un- elected unanimously and, and uh, the whole time had, had great, great authority because of his prestige and, and the way in which he gave himself over completely to this task. So we pray to him now that he grant the church and our lives to a great sense of unity, a great sense of stability that we have in the work, this unity, and of course in the church as well, that there not be the rise of divisions or disputes, different positions, which he fended off so, so successfully because of his sanctity and because of his dedication. Now you will have heard yesterday that uh, Don Luis de Moya, a numerary priest in Pamplona, passed away as a result of an operation that he had. As you know, he was a tetraplegic who had an accident in 1990, I believe it was. He was, uh, he recounts how he was, he was driving on his way to some pastoral activity somewhere in Madrid or somewhere, I'm not exactly sure where, but he doesn't remember anything. He doesn't remember anything of the accident. He just found himself in Pamplona, as I understand, in a hospital, saying, what's going on? Where am I? He has no recollection whatsoever of the accident, which suggests that he probably fell asleep at the wheel and, um, and uh, probably simply went off the road. He had studied uh, earlier, he had studied medicine, later on went to Madrid where he whistled, and then later on went to Rome to study and was ordained a priest. But he, he recounts with great serenity his experience of that accident, which he doesn't remember. He says uh, that... Uh, 
However, that after when he found himself lying in that hospital bed, suddenly his thoughts were different. They, he describes it pensamiento total. Pensamiento total. It means his thoughts were, were never any longer just particular about this thing or that thing. They were complete, total. In the sense that he, he said in particular, the day he woke up, he did not think about what he could do or what he couldn't do, that he couldn't lift his arm or couldn't lift, move his legs or anything, or all that he had lost. He didn't think about that. He said, well, I just realized the most fundamental of all things. And I remember seeing a, a documentary in which he describes a very moving phrase. He said, what was the most fundamental? He said, estoy vivo. Dios está aquí. Y soy sacerdote. Punto. I'm alive. God is here. He is my reference point. And I'm a priest. That's what's fundamental. And he went on with that. And it's good for us when we experience moments of tension, moments of tiredness, feeling overwhelmed by the work that we have to do. Let's go to the fundamental. I am alive. God is my reference point. And well, we can say, some of us can say, I'm a priest. We can say, I'm a numerary priest. I, we can say, I'm a numerary. I have a vocation. Is there anything more fundamental than that? And that's why it is good to go over in this time of prayer with you, Lord, this beautiful new letter from the Father, which is focused precisely on the essentials, especially on the essential of our vocation, in which he helps us to examine the greatness of our call, which fills our, our journey in this world, meaning that we are alive, and this call is going to fill us in our journey in this world, and that we have to go through this life as Luis de Moya did, with an air of eternity, in spite of the limitations, the mistakes, the difficulties that we encounter during the way, as he said, quoting from our Father, in spite of the, in spite of, as our Father used to say, in spite of the in spite of. And I have this recollection of arriving at, uh, at Pamplona in 1990, so that it would have been July 1990 and 
I had uh, not slept much, I was jet lagged, uh, but it was July 7th, es 7 de julio, as they say, and that's the day of San Fermín, it's the famous, it's the famous running of the bulls, and nobody can arrive on July 7th in San Fermín, in Pamplona, without running the bulls. And uh, the morning I woke up on July 7th, it actually was July 7th when I woke up, so I arrived the day before, but, but uh, one, of the, one of the fellows came with a, with a handkerchief, a red handkerchief, and said, put this on, we're going running. And uh, there everybody has to wear a red handkerchief when you're running through the streets. And I still remember putting the handkerchief on and going, and I was just in total culture shock at seeing all these crazy people most of them drunk, uh, running in the streets. Uh, many people have, well, asleep in their cars and so forth. It was like, you're, you know, North American culture shock in, in Pamplona, Spain. But that was, that, that was the first layer, because the second layer came when we finally arrived. We had mass, and then we finally arrived at, at breakfast, and next, sitting next to me at breakfast was Luis de Moya, who was in his wheelchair, and of course was sitting with us. But he had to give him his his uh, he had some special juice that you had to give. he would he would use a straw for the juice, and uh, somebody was there with him constantly feeding him, and he wasn't eating even that much. I mean, he was just he was at you know, he would say he would look over like that. He can't move his arms. He can't move his his hands. Can't move anything. And he would move over like that. Can I, can I have this? Can I have that? And then he finished. He propped his back, his head back, which activated a special arm that came across like this. And he was able to control the wheelchair with a kind of a looked like a kind of a donut at the, on his chin that he was able to move. And he was able to move out, and he said to us, Thank you very much, gentlemen, I will be off. And he went off like that. It was, it was quite, a sh- quite a shock to see also his good humor, his serenity. He'd only been like that, in that state for, I'm going to say, seven or eight months at that point, when I first arrived. But he was, uh, he was working well with the situation. He later on had further health issues. And, well, now we know he, the Lord has taken him to himself. But he was very conscious of the greatness of his call. And we too have to, we too have to anchor this greatness in our soul. What the Father says in his letter the sovereign grace of our vocation. It's not something temporary, but a permanent grace. In quoting from our Father, it's a new vision of life, as though a light had been lit within us. And it is at the same time a mysterious impulse, a vital force, which is something like a sweeping avalanche. There's both a light and a sweeping avalanche. And one did sense that Luis de Moya certainly was lit up, and though he could not move, he was nevertheless like a sweeping avalanche. 
And in this letter, the Father speaks of the same spirit that we have, that we have the same apostolic mission. And we know too that our apostolic mission, as he explains, is not limited just to doing certain activities. Because with the love of Jesus Christ, we can transform everything we do into a Christian service to others. Applies to Luis de Moya as well. His apostolic mission was not limited to doing certain activities. He did do some activities, actually. He was able to actually hear confessions. He was even able to give classes. But obviously his activities were limited. But he still had the full breadth of the vocation. Like all of us, he had the same means, the Father says, the norms or the means, he said, not the ends. He describes how we have to all live with equal dedication, that this encompasses our whole life, not just part of it. And our life is an opportunity and a means to meet Christ and to do apostolate. To meet Christ and to do apostolate. And uh, today's gospel, you could say, is in some way for us, numerous. It's about the, the master of the house who tells his servant when he comes, the master comes home and he says to his servant, you can, you can eat and drink afterwards. Just prepare my food for me. And the Lord says, Must he be grateful to the servant for doing what he is told? So with you. When you have done all you have been told to do, say, We are merely servants. We have done no more than our duty. We are merely servants. It kind of how it sounds like harsh treatment. The master of the house that comes, he says, you know, prepare my food, uh, clean this, help me here, do this for me. Naturally, the Lord is not approving any kind of abuse of this master or some kind of arbitrary behavior. <clears throat> but he is using it, this as an, an, an example that was, would have been familiar to his audience to show the attitude that we have to have towards God our Father, towards our vocation, <coughs> that we are servants. Servi inutilis sumus. And that everything we have received is a gift. You've given me a gift, Lord, this vocation, a divine gift. And so in this letter, the Father elucidates the nature of each vocation in the work, from numerary to numerary, assistant numerary, associate, supernumerary, the numerary priest, and then priest in the priest of society. He just he goes through sections. I honestly haven't read them all yet, but I have read the part on numerary. And he 
He does so quoting from a 1957 letter of our father, where he, go, he hones in on the numerary vocation, number 10. At the heart of the work, the numeraries place themselves at the feet of all their brothers and sisters in a special mission of service. Again, the, the service aspect. It fits in very neatly with today's gospel. The special mission of service to make their way of holiness pleasant. They look after them in all their needs of soul and body. They help them in their difficulties. And they make it possible for everyone's apostle to be fruitful through their selfless sacrifice. In this way, the numerous give life to their brothers and sisters. Their work, by keeping everyone spiritually active and awake, brings about an extraordinary reality of fraternity and unity. By keeping everyone spiritually active and awake. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful image. That's, that's what we have to do. Am I really at the feet of my brothers? Like that servant of the gospel who prepares the, the, the master's food, who, who makes sure that the master is, is, is well fed and is so forth. That's what we have to do. That the master is spiritually active and awake. It says we look after their, the need, their needs in soul and body. That's, that's our rule. When the news of Don Luis de Moya came out, I, I got many texts from different people that I know in Spain. And one person said, I took care of him for three years in Pamplona. Like, but like as a, as a point of pride. Like, you know, I was with him for three years. Now they said, I drove him around Pamplona for two years. I was his driver. Another said, my task was to place him in the confessional. They had a special confessional built where they would roll in his wheelchair and that was my task, they would say. They would say, oh, I did this, I did that. I, you know. And uh, they were there to serve him. There was another, I remember when I first arrived there on that first day, uh, and he was there at breakfast. There was a guy sitting next to him, and he would feed him. That was, yeah, that was his task. He had to be there all day with him, feeding. And the first thought of Don Luis de Moya was, Soy vivo. I am alive. And by and large, he stayed alive because his brothers were serving him. And he was able to do the things he was able to do because there, were, there was a whole network of people around help and the father continues he says that our celibacy is seen in terms of gift of, uh, of availability in order to serve so like the theme of service there uh, for the numerary is, is really all encompassing and it's really all about service a mission to serve facilitated by living in the centers. 
explains it's not uh, it's not an absolute thing. Not everybody lives in centers, but 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 we live here not because it's more comfortable for us, not because we like the food and the administration, but because it facilitates our service, makes it makes us more accessible. He does, the father describes it very beautifully in his letter at number 11. He says, The readiness of new marriage to serve others consists in a genuine availability of heart. A genuine availability of heart. The effective freedom to live only for God and through Him for others. Coupled with a willingness to take on the tasks required in the work. An availability of the heart. To live only for God. For our brothers. It's good that we meditate. I honestly have to pray more about the meaning of availability of the heart. What does that exactly mean? What is that? With, with people with ailing hearts, they need heart donors. And they can go on an internet database and see where is the possibility of a heart donor in their area. Because you can't just, I don't know, maybe you can, but I don't think you can get a heart from somebody in, you know, from very far away. You need available hearts that are available. And then you'll get a, a car accident or what have you, some kind of accident, and this person has an available heart that can save them. So, cardiac patients need somebody to die. Otherwise, they will die. And, of course, the reverse for us, unless we die to ourselves, and make ourselves fully available, the availability of the heart, others will die. Unless we die to ourselves, to our wants, others will die. In all sorts of ways, in formation, in we, there are so many ways in which we can die. But there are all the ways in which others will die. If we don't die to ourselves, then the level of formation, the, the, the level of uh, gift of self will start to decrease and mediocrity could set in as a norm. And maybe it'll become relatively common that you know, people have uh, sort of unorthodox ideas, uh, don't defend the Pope, or I don't, know, I don't know, just doctrinally unsound ideas. It could happen. Why? Why couldn't it happen? We're not. We're not immune to that. In some ways, the only thing that would render us immune from that would be the availability of our heart. We die not just in the fact of giving our formation, but contributing to the life of others, to my brothers. And the, the father explains it very well. He talks about the, 
things we do from actual tasks of formation to the dedication of professional tasks that require our talents and the joy of bringing the gospel there where we are to the administration of the actual centers to tasks of government. He makes a distinction that the administration of a center, like here, is different from the task of government, say in the commissions or in the or in the central central government, central council, or directing apostolic activities or spiritual direction. But what he says is that it cannot be limited to a passive attitude of what I've been asked to do. We cannot be passive, but has to show itself fully, fully in the, when we think about the, the talents that we have received from God, so as to put them at the service of the apostolic mission of the work. I would say, certainly that was the case with Luis de Moya, even though he couldn't move a, I mean, he couldn't move a muscle, literally. But he gave himself completely he was not passive, despite the fact that he couldn't move. And yet, though we could move, we could become, start to become passive. He said, and we make the first move. We offer ourselves with initiative. Therefore, availability is not immobility, but on the contrary, the habitual desire to move at God's pace. Well, you'll have lots of time to meditate this letter, especially that section on the numerary, but you know, we can ask, is there any passivity in my life? Am I proactively engaged in the network of activities? Are they numerous? Are they intense? Am I aware of how I'm contributing? to my good and to the good of others, without being passive, without just waiting, deeply engaged. And then he says quite, uh, quite dramatically, not dramatically, but uh, you know, a quite powerful phrase here is, he says that our gift of ourselves, the result is that we, we give of ourselves completely, it'll give us deep joy, not that we're always activistic or working and, and, and getting, you know, activism or getting burnt out. But he said, uses that expression, this is a holocaust. The numeraries have to offer themselves directly and immediately to God in a holocaust. Giving everything, their whole heart, their activities without limitation, their property, their reputation. It's you know, a holocaust. You just give it, like, you just burned everything. Certainly, Luis de Moya was a holocaust. His whole life was a supernatural focused. And we must serve like this. And nailed to the cross, as the Father says. Nailed to the cross. That's how we are a holocaust. Well, in the couple of minutes that we have, let's ask the Lord to understand these things and we make the resolution to really deeply examine this beautiful letter 
so that we too be a holocaust of service to others. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.